I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Religion is a topic that is widely discussed today, something that people have very strong opinions about and who often wish to express those opinions. But in discussions about religion, we often run into very commonly recurring problems. I'm sure some of you have been in an argument or debate where someone makes a claim like Buddhism is peaceful, a peaceful religion, or for that matter that Islam is a violent religion. Arguments like this pop up all the time. People tend to have very preconceived notions and ideas about what a certain religion is, what it is about, and how it functions. From people within certain faith traditions or religions, we also often run into the so-called famous no true Scotsman fallacy. For example, if someone says that Christianity is peaceful, and then another person points out the many times that Christians have promoted violence or war or oppression, only to be countered with, well, those weren't real Christians. Similarly, in Islam, we often hear the arguments that uh, groups like Al-Qaeda or the Islamic State aren't real Muslims. But in statements like this, we are defining a religion based on our own conceptions and preconceived notions. And this is pretty common in academia as well. We often hear scholars or academics argue that a certain religion stands for certain things, that it functions in certain ways, that it believes in a certain thing. But the problem with all of this is that it goes against one of the basic and most fundamental truths or facts about religion generally, that religions are internally diverse. 
all religions are internally diverse and consist of an almost infinite amount of different interpretations, uh, schools of thought, and, and denominations. A second fundamental truth is that religions are always changing and evolving over time. So to make any kind of sweeping generalizations about a religion is very dangerous, especially in academic circumstances. Now, of course, generalizations must always be made if we are to have any kind of discussion. If we are to talk about concepts or anything, really, with human language, we have to generalize. But it's always important to remember that this will inevitably be a kind of compromise. So to say that Buddhism is inherently peaceful is problematic when we consider all the times that Buddhists have committed acts of violence, for example. If we say that Islam is uh, sexist or misogynistic, this is very problematic when we take into consideration examples when it isn't. And to say that there is a true version of any of these religions is even more problematic, because that is projecting our own perceptions and subjective judgments onto something that is inherently very complicated and, and, and diverse and, and multifaceted. No one can truly define what the true version of any religion is, and if he or she does, and that is a question of subjective faith and does not make it objective truth. Because after all, a religion is not some thing that exists out there on its own, like a being of its own. A religion is really the people that make that religion. It is the, the people that create the religion continuously. This problem in the discourse about religion is often referred to as essentializing. To essentialize a religion by claiming that there is an essential form or version of it, to paint it as a monolith, an unchanging thing that can be definitively defined. But this is an extremely unhelpful and destructive way to approach religion, and one that I try very hard to counteract with this channel. A good example to highlight this discussion and debate both in academic terms and in public debate, is, of course, the religion of Islam. There's perhaps no religion that is more essentialized in media news coverage or in public debate like Islam is. And this is by both non-Muslims and by Muslims themselves. People often, it seems, feel like they have a good idea about what Islam is. We can see, for example, YouTube videos with titles like what Islam says on this or that subject, as if Islam is this person out there who can speak on his own, when really it is always people speaking in the name of the religion. It is, in the case of a YouTube video, it's always a, usually a single scholar who is presenting his opinion, granted backed up by the opinions of previous scholars perhaps, but there is always a counter-argument, there is always someone else with another opinion. This problem is very effectively discussed by the scholar Gabriel Maranchi in his article Sociology and Anthropology of Islam, where he talks about essentializing in academia in particular. In this article, we are presented with a common view of Islam as conceived by many scholars and lay people alike, that it is somehow incapable of change or even more prone to fundamentalism than other religions. This is, one must remember, a old kind of colonialist and orientalist narrative regarding Muslims in particular and the Middle East in general, to paint the region as this unchanging, uh, primitive, uh, backwards place, 
in relation to the West, which is changing and evolving and, and enlightened, so to say. Um, great scholars like Edward Said, who wrote the famous book Orientalism, points this out as being one of the main factors or main narratives that the Western scholarship of the colonial era has put forth and is also one of the main issues that we face today in academia and, and generally about our general views and, and the, the general portrayals about the Middle East. A lot of this is still prevalent today. It is also quite common to present a very essentializing view of Islam in relation to the people who adhere to the faith. As Maranji points out, we often tend to believe that Islam, as if that was a homogenous social structure, is the most important part and main deciding factor in the lives and behaviors of Muslims. So, if you understand what Islam is, then you'll understand all Muslims and their behavior. Not only is this problematic for its generalizing tendencies about the religion itself, but it also fails to consider these social, political, and economic factors, among many others, that shape a person's view of the world and one's relationship to it. When some people think about the Middle East or Muslims in general, they tend to think that all Muslims do is being Muslims, that their whole life revolves around practicing religion, which also exotifies them and makes them seem different, when in reality they are often more commonly thinking about picking up their kids from school or what they're going to eat for dinner. Now, of course, religion is infused into most aspects of life in many of these contexts, but I think you still get my point. Indeed, this kind of top-down perspective on religion can be very dangerous and is exactly what Maranchi criticizes. Instead, he proposes to view a religion in the reverse by saying that, quote, It is not Islam that shapes Muslims, but rather Muslims who, through discourses, practices, beliefs, and actions, shape Islam in different times and spaces. When talking about any religion, we must always remember that it consists of different people, all of whom have learned their understanding of the religion from other people who have learned it from previous people and so on. If one forgets the massive amount of ways that something like a Islam or Christianity has manifested itself in different cultural and social contexts throughout history and today, we run into huge problems that can only damage both the academic research and, of course, public discussions and, and opinions on religion in general. But of course, as scholar Talat Assad points out, the word Islam is pointing to something as opposed to other things. It does have certain general characteristics that we can talk about. It's true, for example, in this case that the Quran and at least to most Muslims, the Hadith literature shape and form the basis of the Islamic tradition. Um, and it thus has certain recurring themes and points. I am not one in favor of a complete relativism. I believe there are things that we can discuss or debate in, in generalizing terms. But the myriad of ways that these sources, like the, for example the Quran and the Hadith, have been interpreted and understood uh, historically and today needs to be taken into consideration in any kind of conversation, research, or, or, or debate on, on these subjects. Arguably, in research and public discussions, we should, quote, start from Muslims rather than from Islam. 
Another example comes from the anthropologist Simon Coleman in his article Recent Developments in the Anthropology of Religion. He also mentions how Hinduism is often judged with India as the yardstick, even though Hinduism at this point is a religion that is widespread across the world, India is still seen as the place where true Hinduism is practiced, which creates similar problems, of course. What I'm trying to do with this video is not to overturn your view on what a religion is completely, only a little bit, but instead to lay as a foundation for future discussions one of the keys to understanding religion in an academic way. I cannot stress this enough, and I'll say it again, no religion is a homogenous monolith. No religion exists out there independent of our interactions with it. Religions are performed and created continuously by those who belong to the religion and practice the religion, as well as those standing outside of it. The most perhaps extreme conclusion that we can draw from this, and one that many scholars have actually done, is to say that things like, well, Christianity doesn't exist, or Islam doesn't exist. Any religion like Christianity or Islam is only a collection of, of various cultural historical phenomena that we place under this umbrella term and call it uh, Islam. For example. Now, as I stated previously, I wouldn't go this far personally. I, I think if we are, it's of course an interesting philosophical questions about concepts and terms, but it's hardly helpful if we are to have any kind of discussion on this subject. Instead, I do believe that we can conceive of a religion in the singular as long as we keep all the above aspects in mind as we do that. In theological discussions or debates about faith from within religions themselves, sure, we can have discussions about who constitutes the true version of a religion or that, say, Catholics are more true followers of Jesus or that Sufis are heretics. But again, these questions or these statements would then be questions of faith, subjective faith, and they have no place in an academic discussion about religion, which at least aims to be as objective as possible. If we are to look at religions as objectively as possible, we cannot make judgments on what teachings are more true than others or what denomination is closer to some true version of the religion. As I've said, we cannot even say that there is a true version of any religion. I'll repeat again, religions are internally diverse and are always changing and evolving over time. No religion can escape this inevitable fact. To say anything otherwise or to make any kind of generalizations is to deny this inescapable um, point. Here at Let's Talk Religion we discuss religion from an academic perspective. This means that I always try to avoid making any kind of sweeping generalizations and instead, in fact, try to highlight the internal diversity of different religious traditions, in part to show you that there is always that variety. Different people have understood the same religion and conceptualized the same religion in different ways, in different times and different places. And this is also what you as an audience should keep in mind as we go forward and that it is your duty to, if you see me making any kind of big generalizations to call me out on it because we are all sensitive and subject to these kinds of uh, preconceived notions and generalizations. We do it all the time, even as academics, as I've said. Uh, but as I also said, uh, of course, I will have to make certain generalizations in these videos for me to have any kind of discussion. But again, feel free to criticize me for the kinds of essentializing and generalizing that I will inevitably be doing in the future.
academic discussions about terms and concepts may not be the most uh, exciting <laughs> topic to talk about, but it is a very important uh, part, a very important aspect that, uh, that we need to discuss, that we need to keep in mind uh, if we want to have a fruitful discussion going forward. I'll see you next time. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.